The church office is going to be closed Wednesday, November 23rd through Friday, November the 25th. That means two things, all right? We will not have Wednesday night activities this week, and we will also not have Tuesday night activities. I know that we've done that in the past. We want you to go to Grandma's house, all right, and have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, and so the, the second bullet point there is, is also that, that there's not going to be any uh, evening activities. Wanted to cover that with you guys. Hope you have a great Thanksgiving. The second thing we need to cover today is that the Alaskan mission trip deposit uh, is going to be due November the 30th. If you'd like to go on that, if you feel the Lord tugging you uh, to go on that mission trip, then we need to have that deposit by November uh, the 30th. And the cost of the trip is $350 plus your airfare. Plus your airfare. So uh, please go ahead and talk to Brother Randy about going on that. And maybe you'll see a moose or two. Um, So uh, the third thing that we need to talk about today is that Christmas is already here. Okay, Uh, Our choir and our orchestra have been working uh, on our worship Christmas worship night. Uh, Hope has a name, Carols 2022. We'd love for you to invite everybody on your Rolodex to be there. Okay, so uh, if you will do that, we would love to have this place full Saturday, December the 10th at 6 p.m. and Sunday, December the 11th at 6 p.m. Uh, it's going to be a time of worship. We're not just singing songs. We're singing and celebrating the gospel together. And speaking of that, how blessed we are here at Luke 418 Fellowship, the body of Christ that God has brought together, each with their different functions. I'm thinking about kids ministry and the deacon body and uh, our sound and tech team, the choir, the orchestra. Everybody has a way that they can serve and One of the things that I'm most thankful for is for you all and for the opportunity that we have to worship together. Let's pray and then we'll get started this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves before you. We pray together and we say thank you for the blood. We thank you for Christ going all the way for us, saving us, forgiving us, and giving us a new life together. We pray that we would be built up into that holy nation that spiritual house. And we pray that we would say there is no one like our God. We pray for our pastors today. Uh, We pray for this week ahead of family and fun and fellowship. We pray that in and in through everything, we would say, thank you, God, for your goodness, for your mercy and grace. And we sing today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Would you say welcome to somebody around you? We'll sing together. We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the Lord is our strength We bow down and worship Him now How great, how awesome is He And together we sing Sing it out! Holy is Lord 
and together we sing, everyone sing, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, the earth is filled with His glory, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, the earth is filled as we continue in worship. Let's all read this together. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And all God's people said, Let's sing this together. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. Do you agree? And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. Sing this out. I have lived, amen, in the goodness of God. And all my life you have been This is running after, running after me. With my life laid down, surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after. Running after me with my life laid down, surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running now, it's running after me. And all my life, you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Oh my life, and all my life you have been breath that I am able, 
to us. Oh, so good that he gave us a savior that died on Calvary for us. And we say, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time Sin separated The breach was far too wide But from the far side of the chasm You had me in your side So you made a way Across the great divide Left behind Stone to build it here inside, and there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul for the first time. I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death has no sting and life has no end for I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb thank you Jesus for the
pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blood that was applied at Calvary for us. We are all level at the foot of the cross. There was no way for us to reach heaven without you, and you gave it all. We pray that we see the things that you have set up for us, that you adopted us and given us good works for us to do. We pray that we would be grateful for that that we would walk alongside you as the good shepherd, that your sheep would hear your voice and follow after you. We pray that for Luke 418 Fellowship. We pray that over every single ministry, every single uh, event and function uh, that, that happens, that it would be all about you and not about us. And yea, though we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because you are right beside us. And when we cannot see you, our souls wait on you because you are a firm foundation. You are everything that we can stand on. Everything else is sinking sand today. We give you all the praise and the honor and the glory that is due your name. And more than that, Lord, we pray that your praise would forever be on our lips today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is love I can 
This is mercy unreserved Through your sacrifice so great I have peace that's undeserved For the battle has been won And I fear no shame or loss Now the sting of death is gone You're my solid rock And my salvation My steadfast hope That won't be shaken My soul will wait My soul will wait for you You're my comfort when I feel forsaken My refuge and my sure foundation My soul will wait My soul will wait for you So it is good to be with you today to get to share God's Word. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to be diving in. And as you're flipping over there, I just want to say, as Brother Aaron said earlier, we are blessed. We are definitely blessed to be able to serve at a church like this. And I will say this as well. We are blessed as a congregation to have... The pastors that we have. Brother David called me at 7.15 this morning to pray with me. That's rare. That, that, that really is. That, to have a pastor that, that loves his flock so much that even when he's on the other side of the country, makes time to call you and pray with you. I've, I've got to sit under several pastors, and I can guarantee you none of them have ever called me when they've been overseas somewhere to, to pray with me for this morning and pray for our service this morning. So we are blessed in that. Brother David wanted me to share with you all things are going great. He thanks you for your prayers. They've gotten there safely. They've had a great time, and he cannot wait to get back and share with everyone what all God has been doing while they've been over there this week. So he asked if you all would continue to be praying for them um, as they will be heading home soon, very soon. 
I want you to think for this moment as we get started, I want you to take just a moment and I want you to think, what is one thing in your life that you have always wanted? One item, one trip, what is something in your life that you have always wanted to have, to get, or to go do? I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to lock that into your head, everyone, everyone there. And I want us, as we think about this thing that we've always wanted in your life, what was it like when you finally got it? What was the, the joy, the excitement? I, I think of myself. One thing that I have always wanted to do my entire life from a little kid was I always wanted to go fly fishing. Like even when I was little, like fly fishing was one of those things that just always seemed amazing and mesmerizing to me. So when I lived in the mountains about this time five years ago in 2000, or maybe been longer than that, I guess six years ago now, I went fly fishing for the first time. You saw that, that photo up there? This was me and my baby trout. Which what I came to learn, I mean, th- this could have been like a 20-pound trout for me for all I care. This was the first trout I ever caught on a fly rod. And I was in, the, I was in shorts <laughs> in the middle of November, and it was like 40 degrees outside. And I was fine. Like in the water, you know, I wasn't cold. And then I got out, and I was like, can we cut the heat on in the truck? Um, but I was so excited. I'd finally caught a fish, and, and every year... As I learned and kind of honed in my craft on, on how to fly fish and how to do different things, I'd gotten to the point in my excitement that I was tying my own flies and I was going, I was taking people fishing. And it got to the point in 2020, I had resolved. I had caught every species of trout I could catch in the mountains of North Carolina. I'd gotten to the point that you could put me on any stream you wanted to, and I was going to catch fish. I knew how to read the river. I knew how to read the, the kind of insects and all the stuff that went with it. And finally, in 2020, I said, you know, there's one thing I haven't done. This year, I'm going to catch a fish big enough to mount. I, I want to have a trout on my wall in my house. And I resolved, I said, this is what we're going to do. And so in March, when the world shut down, I got a whole lot more fish, fishing opportunities. And I went out on a Thursday with two of my friends. And as we were fishing, I hooked up on this massive fish. It felt like I'd hooked up on a log. The fish was in the bottom of this really deep hole. I couldn't see it. It couldn't see me. My fly was in its mouth, and we fought for a good eight to ten minutes. And I had two friends with me, screamed down the river, get up here, get up here. Like, I need you to grab my net and net this thing that is coming up. It came up. We saw it flop a few times on top of the water. They tried and tried and tried. And after about eight minutes of fighting this thing, my line goes slack. And like so many times before, I'd hooked the big fish, but could not land it. So I resolved I'd left. I had nightmares about this fish on Thursday night. (laughs) Friday, all I thought about was this fish. I've got to go back and get this fish. So Friday morning, I called my best friend, Clay. I said, Clay, we've got to go back. I I, I just can't help it. I know this was a mountable fish. So Clay said, all right, when we go. And I said, I'm in your driveway right now. Come on. Me and Clay go get in the truck. We head off to the stream. And I tell him, he said, where are we going to start? I said, where the fish is at? Where else are we going to go? So we get to this point. I go there. I said, Clay, you're going to stay just a little bit down for me. I said, I'm not leaving this spot until I catch this fish. 
he laughed. He said, do you think it's still there? I said, it's there. Me and Clay go, and within about six minutes of me fishing in this hole, he hit again. We fought for a good 15 minutes, threw Clay my net, finally got him wearing, worn out enough that Clay, all he had to do was just kind of grab my net and just pop it under him, and this was the fish that I caught. A big adjustment from that first fish. Man, I was excited. It's six and a half pound trout. Like in bass terms, that's like a 12 to 15 pound bass. And in my excitement, I finally got my mounted fish. I, I was thrilled beyond measure. That year, I ended up catching a mountable sized trout in every species in North Carolina. Mostly, I couldn't go to any more sporting events. So I had to find something else to do with my time. And when I caught that fish, I was so excited. I got pictures of it. I took, sized it up. I got home. I wrote it in my fishing journal, just how excited I was about this fish. Posted all over social media. Took it to the taxidermist. Said, this is what I need you to do for me. And I was so thrilled. Everyone that saw me for probably the next two months heard about this story. Because the crazy thing is I hooked it on Thursday. And when I got it out on Saturday, it still had my fly in its mouth from Thursday. And somebody else is flying its mouth. I took all three and I said, these are going home with me. But I landed it, I got it mounted, and hung it up on my wall and shared that story and couldn't help to share that story. That my wife heard me talk about it, she just rolled her eyes and walked away. It, It was the story of so many hours of pursuing this fish. And now it sits hanging on the wall in my office. I walk in and notice it, but I really don't talk about that story often. The only time I really share the story of what I call my COVID fish was when someone asks me about it. And I, I think that's true for a lot of us. What happens from the moment that we say I do on our wedding day to the moment that we sign divorce papers? What is it that happens in our lives from the the day that we hold our our firstborn child in our hands and we're so excited, we're so in love, and man, I'm going to take care of this baby, to all of a sudden, it's getting on my last nerves. It's not listening to me. It's filled my whole schedule up with things that I have to do every day. Well, what happens from the day that we get a, a new puppy and we're so excited, it's the cutest thing and has the puppy smell, to two years later, it's a dog that chews up everything. What is it that happens when we're so excited and so delighted over this thing or this event or this object that years later, it doesn't mean as much to us? We forget sharing about it. And I think in the case of divorced spouses, frustrated parents, a puppy to a dog, what happens is a loss of love. Gradually, Almost instantly, over a period of time, what was once done from passionate fervor, what was once done out of a delight, now becomes a duty or a chore. And that's what we're going to look at this morning here in Revelation chapter 2, is we're going to look at how do we go from a delight to a duty. So if you have your Bibles, you've opened up with me to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to start reading here in verse 1. It says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, 
He walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and have not grown weary, but have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Rumor, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for this morning. God, I thank you for the time you give us to gather as a body. And Lord, I pray as we come to this time of studying your word, Lord, I pray that you will speak to us. God, I pray your spirit would penetrate our hearts in such a way, God, that we respond to you today. God, that we examine ourselves. God, we examine to see that the things of you, the, the, the gathering of the body, the life group, and all these things that at some point in our lives, God, were complete joys. It was a complete delight, but God, I pray that we're examining our hearts today to see, God, have we made good things a duty and not a delight? God, have, have we missed what it is you call us to? And God, I pray in this process of studying your word, God, I pray that you speak and move today. God, that we hear from you. God, may we be obedient to you today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Revelation is a, a great book. It's one of my favorites. These are the, the letters. They're going out to churches. This is the church at Ephesus. And in every letter, it kind of falls a, a very similar pattern, very similar way of studying and knowing um, what he says. And so as we think of this letter, the first thing we see is there's a greeting. There's a greeting to this church here at Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hands, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And this greeting, it might sound kind of odd if you're not used to studying Revelation much, but in this, there's the one who holds the seven stars and the seven lampstands, and basically this is what he says, is Christ is saying, I'm the one who holds the stars in heaven in my hand, and at the same time as I hold the stars in heaven with my hand, I also hold all the churches in my hand. To put it even more simplistically, I'm the one in control of all things. When we think about who Jesus is, that Jesus was there in creation, that when the Father spoke all things into existence, Christ was there. If we look in Matthew 28, we see all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He holds all things in his hands. He is in complete control of all things. And so as he writes to this church in Ephesus and he sends this greeting to the one who holds the seven stars in his hands and the seven golden lampstands, he is in control. He's holding us in his hands in the same way. So Christ is validating not only who he is, but he's writing this to his church. So we see his greeting that he is in control and he sustains all things and holds all things. Guys, we should take comfort in that today. 
But not only do we see a greeting that he gives to them, he, he goes on to say some good things about them. He says some good things about them. We'll go back into verse 2 and 3. I know your works. Should be an exciting thing and also a scary thing to know. God knows all things. There's nothing hidden and there's nothing in secret that he does not see or know. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Here Christ lists seven things that they've done very well. But really these seven things can be summed up into two big pictures. Number one is their deeds or their works that they have done. Christ says, I I, I know what you've done. I I know how you've lived. I've known what you're doing as a church in your community. I know the physical acts that you're doing, that you are doing good works, that you're patient. I know you're tall. You cannot bear with those who are evil. I know the works that you've done. And they're good. And the second thing, their doctrine. They, they cannot stand false teachers to come in. That, that as soon as a false teacher comes in, they, they nip them in the bud and they send them out the door. They cannot stand false teachers. They've been doing the right things. If we think about it today, it's like we're tithing. <laughs> We're coming into worship. We're, we're, we're a part of a life group. We're serving in different areas within the church. We're doing the right things. We do the right things. Just like them, they, they have the right doctrine. They believe the right stuff. We, we, we think about ourselves today. We, we believe that this Bible is inerrant with everything in us. This word is 100% God's word written to us. We, we, we believe in the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in the Trinity. We, we believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. This wasn't just some spiritual resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. We, we believe that he's coming again. We have the right doctrine, just like this church in Ephesus. So we can do the right things. And we can think the right things. But church, there can still be some issues. There can still be some problems. Christ tells them the good things they're doing, but then he hits on an issue. And he shifts to the third thing we see today, and that's the bad things he has about them. We get down to verse 4, but. And this is a very different but than what we see in Ephesians chapter 2, where it says, but God, being rich in mercy. This is a different kind of but. This isn't a good, a good shift. This is kind of like your parents just got back from a parent-teacher conference, and they're telling you, you know, Matthew, your teacher said you're doing better in your handwriting. Your teacher said you're doing a little bit better at reading. You're doing better at math. But. Has anybody ever, your parents come back from parent-teacher conference, and they tell you some good things, and then there's that shift that takes place, and you know you're about to get in trouble? This is kind of what this but is like. I know you're doing these good things, but I have this against you. This is what he says. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. That you abandoned the love you had at first. That's hard. I mean, if you really love somebody, you really care about them, they look at you and say, 
You don't love me like you used to. Is that an easy pill to swallow or a hard pill to swallow? Yeah, this is what Christ writes to his church at Ephesus. He says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. We can think of this in a couple ways. This, this could be one way that in doing their good and, and having the right doctrine, that in one way they've, they've left Christ behind. They've become so focused on doing the right things and thinking the right things that they're kind of just going through the motions of what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Are we capable of doing that too? Are, are we capable of, of being so busy in our lives of doing the right things and being a part of the right stuff and, and thinking correctly about God that sometimes we can miss the relationship with God? Yeah. So part of it is maybe maybe they've forgotten about Jesus. They've gotten so focused on running this race that they've neglected the time they need to spend with God. And another part of looking at this, at banning the love they had for first, is when we think of how Jesus summarized the Ten Commandments, he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the holistic approach to the love that God calls us to. Not only are we supposed to love God, but we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. And maybe part of this love that they had abandoned was they had quit caring for those in their midst. They'd quit caring for those that were around them. They got so busy and doing good and so busy at having the right doctrine that their heart had become cold to those who thought or looked or acted differently than they did. They started to push them away. They were no longer pursuing him. And if we're honest, we all have seasons and moments in our lives where we can just go through the motions and never steep in God's word. I don't know how many of you make tea. Tea is, now that it's getting cool, I love to have a hot glass of tea when I'm reading. But you know, there's different types of tea, and when you have different types of tea, there's also different times of which you're supposed to allow this tea to steep in the hot water. Did y'all know that? You can oversteep and ruin it <laughs> from experience. But I love hot tea. But if, if I want to have a really good, strong tea, I've got to let those tea bags steep for a while in that boiled hot water. And as that tea bag steep in that water, it changes from just water to some really good tea. And that's the same that has to happen in our hearts and in our lives. If we really want to be in God's word, and we really want to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and we really want to love people as ourselves, we have to learn to steep in God's word. We have to learn to spend time with him and allow him to penetrate our hearts and him to shift our hearts to love him more. When we, we think of, of doing the right things, of, of loss, of love for their neighbor, they were doing all the right things, but maybe love wasn't the motive behind it. We, we think of this time of year, we give to the light of the village. Do we just give out of the light of the village because that's just what we do? Or do we give to the light of the village because God has broken our heart for those kids? When we think of the Pasco house that we help serve here. Do we give to them because that's just what we're supposed to do? Or we are broken over the situations that they live in and are coming out of? Or we're about to enter a season of Lottie Moon. Do we give to Lottie Moon because that's just what we do with Southern Baptists? Or has God broken our heart for the lost around the world? The heart is the motive behind everything. That's what God cares most for. 
That's when he talks to this church. He, he loves this church. He loves his children. He loves his people. But God also wants us to have a right heart before him. God doesn't just care that we think the right things and do the right things. He wants the heart to be the driving factor behind it to be right. So he tells them these bad things. And I think really it can be both of one and two. I think it can be that they've lost focus of God and they've lost focus of loving their neighbor. We'll see why here in just a moment. But we, we see this greeting to them. We see that he encourages them and gives them the good that he sees. But then he also hits them with the reality that they have abandoned their first love. And then he hits them here, the fourth thing, is he gives them a challenge, verses 5 and 6. Remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Remember. He tells them to remember what they did at first and turn back to it. I want you to think for a moment here. What was it like when you first came to know Christ? What were you like? Were you passionate about it? Were you, were you excited? And did you taste this freedom that only comes in Christ and you just wanted everyone and anyone that would hear you to know the same joy and peace that you've gotten from him? Well, what, what was it like when you first became a follower of Christ? Did you just come in on Sunday mornings and go, man, yeah, we got church today? Or did you long to get here so you could just hear, man, what does God's word have for me this week? I remember when I first got saved, our church had two services. Little did I know that my pastor preached the same services and same sermon in both services. I, I didn't know he did that. I thought, man, this guy really loves to study and preach. But I was so in love with God that I could not wait to get to church on Sunday. We had an 8.30 service, then Sunday school, and then service after that. And I would go to both services because I was like, maybe just in case I miss something, I want to make sure that I get what I need to have this week. Just in case he says something different, I want to make sure I, I get it. My parents thought I was crazy, and so did my friends. They're like, dude, one sermon is enough. Like, it's the same thing, you know? Our worship pastor's like, bro, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> but when you're so in love with somebody, you want all you can get out of them. When, when, when you're so in love with someone, you want to spend as much time as you can with them. You want to know every detail about them. That's why when it comes to our marriages, you know, we were blessed, several couples of us, to get away a couple weekends ago to go to Destin for a marriage conference. And what is the benefit of that? You get time alone to remember your love for one another. Why do we enjoy family vacations? Because in the busyness of the rhythms of life, when we get to go away with our families, that is time together we get to make memories that we get to look back on. How much more true is it, guys? when it comes to a relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that we remember what he has done for us and we remove the fluff of life and repent and draw back to him. Our hearts should always be burning for the King. Our hearts should always be on fire and longing to commune with him, longing to worship him, 
longing to spend time in prayer with him, longing to spend time in his word. When we really understand who God is and what he's done for us, we should want nothing more than to dwell and abide with him. That's why he calls us to remember. Maybe that's some of you in here this morning that you just need to remember who God is and what he's done for you. He tells them to remember. And he gives them this challenge, remember, repent, and turn back to me. It's not too late. Remember the work you did at first. Remember what it was like when you first came to know me. Remember the fire that was in your bones. Remember the freedom and the joy that you had. He tells them, stop going through the motions and come back to me. He says, if you don't, I'm going to remove the lampstand. The lampstand in, in Revelation of these churches, it was symbolic of the Spirit of God that dwelt with these churches. It says, I want to remove your lampstand, meaning if you don't turn back and come to me, I will remove this. Sounds a lot like an Old Testament story of Ichabod, does it not? Well, God writes over the glory of the Lord has departed. How sobering of a reality that should be to us, that if we don't fall more in love with God, there comes a point where his glory leaves. It's the same for us today, guys, that we need to turn from our sin, we need to turn whatever that's distracting us from following him, repent and come back to the king. Repent and come back to the Father. So he gives them this challenge to repent and come back to him, and then he pleads with them here, the first part of verse 7, the command to listen. He gives them a command to listen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear. This is something that we see a lot when we study, hear these seven letters to the churches in Revelation always ends. He who has an ear, let him hear. He who has an ear, let him hear. We see in the Old Testament that there's people that have ears but never hear. Eyes but never see. They don't understand. He tells them, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. What the Spirit says to the churches. He tells them, come, take heed. Listen, my child, listen to what I'm saying. If you listen to me, take heed. He who has an ear, let him hear. It's kind of like our parents give us a warning. Y'all remember when you, maybe it was just me. I could be the only one that got disciplined a lot as a kid. I have so many memories of belts and wooden spoons. <laughs> or the switch. The switch was the worst. When you had to go get your own switch, like, that was, that was more my grandpa. But, plum tree. Um, anyways, but, in that, is, is that warning that, that a parent gives, is that warning that, hey, if, are, you, are you paying attention to me? Are, are you listening, Matthew, are you paying attention and listening to me? If I ever heard my mom say that, I was stopping whatever my brain has wandering off in the left field about. I was like, yes, ma'am. I will not do that again. Because I knew that if I did not listen when she drew my attention back to her, there were consequences for my actions. The same is true as a follower of Christ. When we do not take heed and repent and turn to him and draw near to him, there are consequences for our actions. That's why he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He gives them this command to listen. Listen and pay attention. I've been telling the students this is a big if. It's a big if. 
He who has an ear, let him hear. I've been telling students the past couple of weeks that if we are in Christ, it shows. <laughs> if we are a follower of the king, it shows. There, there is fruit that comes forth. We see Jesus, we looked at this a few weeks ago with our students, that when Jesus separates the goats from the sheep, there's a difference between the two. Goats want to hang out in the flock, but goats don't know the shepherd. The goats don't hear the shepherd's voice and listen. We're also seeing Galatians that there is fruit that comes forth from the life of the believer. So what kind of fruit do you see in your life? What what, what kind of fruit do you see? It, it, It may not be all of a sudden, but it will eventually happen. Fruit does have to be produced from the life of the believer. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then he gives them this promise. This promise he tells them to the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. How encouraging is that? How hard is life? Do we go through ups and downs, struggles and joys, mourning and laughter? If we jump to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, there we see there's all kinds of ranges of emotions, all kinds of seasons of life that we walk through. But he gives this promise to the church, the one who endures will eat with me from the tree of life in the garden. That should encourage us, church, that if we hold fast to Christ, we hold fast to his word, we hold fast to following in love with him, we hold fast to, to living on mission for him, to abiding and dwelling in the King of kings and Lord of lords, that there is coming a day when we get to dwell with him in the garden and eat of this tree of life. What a day that's going to be. See, some, somewhere we've, we've missed it and we, we've come up with this imagery of heaven as this great place of just chilling and relaxing, where Alabama never loses. <laughs> the trout are always massive. But what makes heaven heaven is Christ. But what, what makes heaven heaven is being with the King of kings and Lord of lords who bled and died for me. And there is coming a day when he's going to make all things new. And when he makes all things new, those of us who are in him get to eat with him from the tree of life in the garden. And that is something our hearts should long for. He gives them this promise, endure. Remain steadfast. Do not lose hope. Do not lose heart. Stay constant. Keep pursuing me. Keep running after me. It is worth it. He who endures gets to eat with him in the garden. So how do we respond today? And there's two ways, two major ways we respond. Number one question that every one of us in here need to ask ourselves. The most important question we can ask at any point of our life is, are we in Christ? Are you in Christ? That's the first question we need to ask ourselves. If not, a child of God, it really doesn't matter what you love because you've missed it altogether. God calls us to love him. We must learn to turn from our sin. We must learn to turn from our agony, our pain, our brokenness, our separation from God. And we must turn to run into him. Christ is better than anything this world has to offer. But this is what I think the world, and oftentimes maybe some of us in here think about it. We kind of think of Christ like we do a gym membership in January. It looks good. We like the idea of joining the gym. We like the idea of getting in shape. We like the, the benefits that it can get us. But if we ever, never go to the gym, does it benefit us any? No. 
not a chance. That's a lot like how the way some people think about Christ. We like the idea of Christ. We like the idea of what we can get out of Christ, a.k.a. getting out of hell free card. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than just getting out of hell. Just like joining a gym is so much more than just saying, I'm a member of a gym. We've got to be a part of it. We've got to involve ourselves in it. There has to come a point in our life where we turn and we repent from our sins and we daily dwell with him. He calls us to a daily relationship with him. And if we don't have that, we have missed it. Jesus says, many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. To me, it's the scariest verses in the Bible because it's people that do the right things, they think the right things, but they never gave their heart to Jesus. I want you to examine your heart this morning and ask yourself, have you ever truly given your heart to Jesus? Have you ever truly repented of your sins? Have you ever truly turned and said, God, I can't do it, I need you? Because if not, Jesus one day will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. It will be too late. So are you in Christ? And if not, here in just a moment, we'll have a time of invitation. Come down and grab me. Come down and grab anybody in here. We'd love to talk to you about how you come to know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He wants our heart, guys. All of it. The second way we respond for those of you who are in Christ, the question that we must ask ourselves is, what do I love? What do I love? As a believer, we're called to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And here at Ephesus, this church, they had the right mind, and they were doing the right things. But they'd forgotten about the heart. They'd forgotten that what God had called them to. This might be true of some of you in here today. I said earlier, remember, remembering these bad things he had against them is their love. They've forgotten it. Here's how it played out. For some of you in here, you might have prayed a prayer at some point. You said you've come to know Christ. And see, at one point, you were red hot on fire, excited. And man, I just cannot wait to tell everybody and anybody I can about Jesus. Are you like that today? Maybe you were like me. And man, when I, when I got saved, not only could I not get enough of church and, and, and worshiping with the body and learning what God's word said, but man, every night I could not wait to get in his word. And I was so in love with God. I was so in love with this. I was like, man, I got to know everything about this guy that would love me so much that he would die for me. And that just doesn't make sense. Like, I just, I just need to know. I need to, he, he, he gave me a word. <laughs> he gave me 66 books, and I need to know every one of them because that is how much he loves me, that he wrote me letters <laughs> to tell me about himself, to tell me about who he was and what he's done. When was the last time you hungered and thirsted to be in God's word. Well, what happens from the time that we are so passionate and in love with God, where it's such a delight to spend time with him, that it becomes a duty? That becomes just what we're supposed to do. In so many cases, it's a slow fade. It's not an intentional, <clears throat> you know, God, today I don't want to read your Bible. You know, God, today I'm just, I just don't feel like going to church. You know, God, today I just don't feel like praying. Some of you might have said that, but I think for most of us, if we're honest, that's not necessarily how we 
slip away from a burning hot red desire to be with God. Normally how it happens is not a, God, I just don't want to be in your word today. Uh, God, I just got so much going on. I don't, I don't have time today. God, you don't understand the kids were wild today. They, they just trying to get them dressed into school and back from school and this homework and bathed and into bed. By the time I get done, God, I'm just dead. I ain't got time to do this. Or, or maybe it's just time with our grandkids that we, we were running to and from. We just love our grandkids so much. We want to spend time. We want to support them. Maybe it's running back and forth from, from work. Whatever it is, it's, it's never that we make the purpose decision that, God, I don't want to spend time with you. It's what, that we've slowly allowed other things to become more important than our time with God. We, we've slowly allowed other things to slip in and slowly drive a wedge between our heart and our heart with God. So if that's you in here today, that, that you, you, you were red hot on fire for God at one point, but then slowly faded away and slowly drifted, and you just don't feel that closeness that you were at one time with him. My challenge is we come to this time of invitation, get the exact, exact same thing that God told to this church here in Ephesus. Remember your love you had at first and repent. Spending time with God is the best thing we can do every day. He never grows old. It never gets boring. And when you get done, you feel renewed. You feel rejuvenated. So I want to challenge you as you come to this time of invitation today that if you don't know Christ, don't let you don't leave this morning without making that right. There's people that will be at the no table that love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you down front. Don't let it slip away. God desires a relationship with you. He bled and died for you.